This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson! Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world. Hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me as always, Brian Com. Hi, Brian. Hey, Elon. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Another big week. Actually, last night was kind of a scary night. At the end of all the games, it seemed as though the injuries were just piling up and up and up. And of course, we're going to cover all of that and more. Lots of slumpers, lots of snoozers, and a fair share of hot streaks, too, coming up on this week's show. Yeah, I'm very excited, Brian. Before we get into it, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. I love being able to say that we're presented by DauberHockey.com because it's the best site. I go there multiple times a day. I'm always excited to see if there's any new articles. You can follow, by the way, Dauber Hockey on Twitter, and you get notified about all their new articles up, and they're like just tweeting good things all the time. But yeah, you've got your line combos, your starting goalies, articles, player profiles. I love that player profile. The five-on-five shooting percentage is such a handy tool to know if your player is maybe slumping because he's no good or just slumping because he's getting some bad puck luck. It's useful information, as is most of the stuff over on DauberHockey.com. So definitely check it out. It's a good site. What a ringing endorsement from Elon Dabrowski. Elon is obsessive about his fantasy hockey news. So is Dauber. So are his writers. Go there. And I actually, I also follow Dauber on Facebook. So I don't even need to type anything in. You know, I just log into Facebook before I check the patron group. I look on my timeline. And boom, I already read this morning's ramblings without even a keyboard press. <laughs> wow. The future is now. Fantastic. Yeah, basically the two sites I have bookmarked for fantasy hockey are Dauber Hockey and Roto World. If you have those, you're in good shape. And also, hey, keepingcarlson.com, though it only gets updated once a week. But <laughs> this is one of those days where it's been recently updated because you're listening to a new episode, and let's get into it. And like Brian said, let's cover some of these injuries. You know, we prepare the episode throughout the week, and I already kind of had an idea Saturday morning of what the structure of the show was going to be, but it all got thrown into flux yesterday because before I go to bed, I read that Ben Bishop was injured, Devin Dubnik was injured, Kyle Touris was injured. So let's just talk about these and see if these are serious, if we need to react to them. Let's start with Ben Bishop. Brian, I see that Vasilevsky came in to finish that game yesterday against San Jose. What's going on? Yeah, it looked like Bishop got caught with a stick, like, through his mask, and it cut him, so he had to leave the game. But usually, like, a cut on the face isn't something that keeps a goalie out for extended time, unless, like, it got really close to his eye. At this point... The indications are that it's not terribly serious, according to Joe Smith, a fantastic beat writer for the Lightning. Uh, John Cooper said that he thinks 
everything's going to be okay with Bishop. Still don't know if that means he's going to start. Well, actually, that's today, so it'll be too late by the time you hear this. But if he doesn't start today, I imagine he's still going to get most of the starts for the Lightning next week. So people shouldn't be jumping on Vasilevsky right now. Well, no, because then he'd be injured too. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) All right. So, yeah, that's basically the thing. With these goalie injuries, you have to be so on top of it. Unless you're in a league like the Cacupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, where we have a daily bidding, so you can't just, like, jump on the goalie when he gets injured. You're going to have to bid against everybody else. But if you're in a league where you could just pick up a free agent, you've got to know you kind of need, like, almost an alert for a serious goalie injury like that. Because if Ben Bishop was out long-term, Vasilevsky's value would skyrocket. But, yeah, it's looking like Bishop's going to be okay. How about Devin Dubnik? He was riding a shutout yesterday against Colorado, and then all of a sudden, I see that Kemper came in to finish the game, and believe it or not, Kemper actually finished the game and completed the shutout, which is very rare for a Kemper start. Maybe I'm being too hard on Kemper, but Brian, what's the deal over there? Still no official word on what's happening. Of course, like, all of this happened 12 hours ago. Usually you find out a bit more when teams show up at their morning skate and you see who's on the ice, who's not, so we don't really have that luxury to work with just yet. At this point, though, like, even if Dubnik is injured, and the sort of sense seems to be maybe, maybe not, like, I thought I saw a quote that I can't find now where Mike Yo was saying, uh, it's probably not serious or it's no big deal, I think he's going to be okay, but it did seem like the sort of injury that could keep a goalie out for a little bit of time, but in any case, if Dubnik is out, your options are to add Darcy Kemper or Nicholas Backstrom, who I think has still yet to dress for a game. About five games ago, I know he had still just been in the press box every single night. I don't think he is dressed as a backup goalie so far this year. Maybe now he gets that chance. Either way, sorry, I'm getting off track. Forget Darcy Kemper is the real main message of this piece. I don't think that he is a goalie that you can rely on. And I, and I speak from a personal, very personal place. And Elon, you do too. Last year, I saw him before Dubnik came in as somebody who could step up and do well. And for a little while, we were right. Like, he had, like, a bunch of shutouts in a row at the start of the season. Everything was looking so rosy. And then, like, he just could not put a quality start forward, eventually encouraging the Wild to go get Devin Dubnik. And we know the rest is history. Dubnik easily took over the number one spot with some stellar play. But Kemper is still not to be trusted in fantasy hockey. You don't want him, even if he is going to get a lot of starts for the Wild. Okay, so I'm reading from Roto World that, yeah, Mike Eo said the injury is not expected to be serious. So hopefully he won't be out long term, especially if you're a Minnesota Wild fan. And yeah, as far as Kemper goes... He's only started three games this season, aside from jumping in yesterday. He's only appeared three times, which shows how much Minnesota has faith in him. So if Dubnik were injured long-term, it would be really interesting to see what they would do. I'd imagine they would just trade for another goalie. But Kemper, in his very few starts, he's only been able to put up a 907 save percentage. Like Brian says, it would be a scary start. But hey, here's one thing you can do. If there is a nervous Dubnik owner in your league, how about pick up Kemper? try to trade Kemper to the nervous Dubnik owner if it turns out that Dubnik is out for like a week or so. Who knows if you could maybe pull something over there. Yeah, you could probably add him as a trade ship. If Dubnik does end up being out long term, somebody is going to want Kemper and then you can just parlay that into better value because, I mean, like the only reason to have Kemper on your team is if you're desperate to hit a minimum start or if saves is your only category. And again, this is only if Dubnik misses extended time. So all this could be for naught. I guess I just feel like this is a good opportunity to remind people that I don't like Darcy Kemper. Okay, and like Brian said, we have one more injury we wanted to bring up. Kyle Turris 
went down yesterday right near the end of the game against the Islanders. And this would be a major blow if you're a tourist owner. He's having another great season, 22 points in 26 games, centering that amazing top line with Bobby Ryan and Mike Hoffman. I don't know if we've given Ryan and Hoffman enough credit this year, but those guys are amazing. If you guys listened to Brian early on and grabbed Mike Hoffman when he was a free agent in your league, you are thanking him now. And if Turris is injured, that means there's an opening on the top line, top power play. So worth paying attention to if someone like Mika Zibanejad, I guess, is a free agent in your league. Though Zibanejad's on a pretty nice line himself with Mark Stone. The Sens, they score a lot of goals. It's very exciting. Eric Carlson yesterday, great game. Three points. Love Eric Carlson, but okay. Back to Kyle Turris, what is the extent of this injury? Brian, it's like you're the doctor of the episode. Yes, but I'm practicing without a license and without much information here. All I can do is tell you what beat writers happen to be sort of guessing at the end of the game. And the last I saw from Turris was that he did walk fairly normally towards his team's charter flight last night. So I guess that's something to go on. I mean, if you saw the injury, it looked like it could have been a while, like the way his leg extended and knee sort of got like stretched and twisted all at once. It looked very, very bad. It would be a very big relief for all the Sens fans and Sens fantasy owners if Tourist was okay because he is a really big piece of that offense. He handles some really difficult duty and he scores while doing it. I feel like if he was out and say Zibanejad moved up to that center spot on the top line, I don't know that that top line would be as successful, and I don't think that Zibanejad would necessarily just get more points because he's on the top line, because Turris just handles his opposition so very well. So hopefully he's okay, and if he's not, well, you know what, we'll talk about that next week. I don't think there are any, like, pressing ads or guys moving up the depth chart in Ottawa very quickly if Turris does stay out this week. I suppose two guys to watch could be Curtis Lazar and Jean-Gabriel Pajot to see if any of them get a little bit more of a look at the top line or top power play time. Yeah, well, I guess not at even strength, but on the power play, Zibanejad right now centers the second power play unit, so he would go up to the top power play unit, so maybe that will help, even if he doesn't necessarily get more points playing with Hoffman and Ryan over playing with Mark Stone, but being on the first power play would be something. But yeah, definitely it's just bad for everyone if Tourist is injured, I think. I agree with you, Brian. Okay, This was sad talking about these injured players. Let's move on to something even more sad. Let's talk about slumping players on our fantasy teams and what we should do about them. We're getting a lot of tweets and a lot of messages on the Keeping Carlson patron Facebook group. People asking us, oh, what do I do about Eberly or Verbata? We have a few other names. I guess I don't want to just give them all out right now, but we'll go over them one at a time. But there are some players that at this point, you know, we're a decent way into the season now. It's December. It's been a couple of months. So we can't just say, oh, it's an early season slump. There might be something more to it. And at some point, you have to make a decision of whether you hold on to this guy for the whole year or whether you cut bait. And let's start with, actually, not one of the guys I mentioned, because here's the guy that I'm most concerned about right now. Patrick Hornqvist on the Penguins. I shouldn't even have to say anymore. The numbers speak for themselves. He has eight points in 25 games this year. Eight in 25. And this was a guy who was a perennial 50-point guy in Nashville. And we expected when he moved to Pittsburgh, he would do even better. And last year, he had 51 points in 64 games. So that was more like a 60-point pace. And we were thinking, yeah, Hornqvist, this is his time. He takes so many shots. Now that the Penguins have 
Kessel. It's going to be like the top six. There's going to be Kessel and Malkin and Crosby and Hornquist on the top power play. It's going to be amazing. Perron's there. He's going to have great line mates no matter what. Now, all of a sudden, not only is he in this slump, because he was in this slump for a while, obviously all season pretty much, and when people were asking us about him, at least I would say, hey, he's playing with Malkin. He's on the top power play. It's going to be fine. Now he's been bumped to the third line, playing with Nick Benino and Bo Bennett. Add to that the fact that Chris Kunitz took his spot in the top six, and he's doing great. He's on quite a little run right now, so I don't see any reason for this to be just like a wake-up call for Hornquist, because who are you going to bump? Are you going to bump Chris Kunitz back when he and Crosby are finding that chemistry that they had back a couple of years ago when they were one of the hottest lines in hockey? I'm very concerned about Patrick Hornquist and his fantasy value at this point. Brian, do I need you to talk me off the ledge, or is it time to just drop Hornquist? This is the difficult thing about Hornquist right now, is that his value might still be higher than his production, or at least that was a concern for the first few months of the season. And actually now I'm becoming convinced that his value is coming much closer to matching his production. And at that time, that's when it's safe to drop him. For now, I still think he's going to be fine at some point in the season. But to be honest, I am tired of waiting. With him in Pittsburgh, the difference we've seen from him in Nashville is like in Nashville, his ceiling was a lot lower based on the style of game Nashville played, but the offense went through him. He is not as needed offensively in Pittsburgh as he was in Nashville. So if Pittsburgh wants to push him off the power play and onto the third line, they can get away with that at least for short periods at a time when he is not doing anything to help his case otherwise. In Nashville, his IPP, that's his individual points percentage, which tells you of all the points scored while he's on the ice, how many does he have a piece of? So if there are five goals scored while he's on the ice and he gets points on three of them, then his IPP is 60%. In Nashville, his IPP for a few years was hovering around 70%, which is pretty high, but also necessary because Nashville did not have like a lineup where they would be having four lines scoring goals or even three lines scoring goals. Since he got to Pittsburgh, well, it was 63% last year and this year so far it's 57%. So he is in on fewer of the goals scored while he's on the ice. The team does not need to move the puck through him to be able to get a goal. And now that he's on the third line, I don't even think there are many goals to calculate an IPP out of. Yeah, well, that's it. So his IPP might be higher now that he's on the third line. Like, he might get a little bit of a bump because any goal that's scored, well, he is probably going to be the best player on that line, the one who can cash in a scoring chance. But it doesn't really mean that he's ready to necessarily step back onto lines one or two. It would be good to see him do a couple things, to see him put that third line on his back, say, and make an impression or make a case to be brought back up. But so far, if you look at his numbers, you see that really there's not a lot of sunlight. There are drops across the board in his possession and shot generation measures. His chance generation is still okay, like his scoring chance is four and his high danger scoring chance is four are decent. But as I said, to to start off this little run, I think his value at this point is low enough that in some leagues, we're at that point where you can drop him and he'll stay a free agent. And then you can just be the one to try and get dibs if he does start to heat up or find himself in a better spot sometime down the road. Yeah, I think I would say you're probably safe to drop him right now if you're in, you know, a medium to shallow league. But I wouldn't wait for him to heat up. I would wait. As soon as on Rotowire, you see that he's back playing with Malkin. And if you see that he's still on the top power play, that's when you'd want to add him for sure. Don't wait for the production because then it might be too late. I think that in the top six, he's shown that he can produce, but I just don't expect much with him on the third lines. You're going to have a bit of an anchor on your roster until that changes. Do you concur, Brian? I do concur, Elon. And since you mentioned him, actually, I want to talk about Chris Kunis just for a minute. 
for anyone that's getting super excited about what's happening. Yes, five points in his last two games played. Only one shot on goal, though. He has just three shots in his last four games, and that's with some extra time playing on the top line. So it doesn't mean necessarily that Crosby is feeding him all kinds of chances that he's been able to take advantage of or try and cash in on. He just really has, I don't know, I feel like he's been a passenger. (laughs) Well, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe he's the one giving those good feeds to Crosby. From what I've seen, that hasn't exactly been the case. And I just want to emphasize, with these five points, he's now up to eight points on the season. So he had three points in his first 23 games this year. You can go ahead and add him, like stream him in or anything. But I would not rush to think that Chris Kunitz is back and try and like buy low on him in a trade. Right, yeah. It's only been a couple good games. A couple really good games, fantasy-wise. And as long as he's playing with Sidney Crosby on the top line, there's value there. But yeah, who knows how long that'll last. Maybe Hornquist gets back soon and Kunitz gets dropped back to the third line. But for now, yeah, definitely a nice streaming option if you're in a relatively deep league and Kunitz is available. Just don't expect those shots on goal. Okay, Brian, so we've talked about Hornquist. We've said he's probably a drop. How about Jacob Voracek? Here's another guy like Hornquist who had a great year last year. Actually, much better than Hornquist. The Hornquist was injured. He would have done even better. But Voracek was amazing. He really broke out, was like a point-per-game player for most of the year. We even talked about him in the summer as one of the new elite players in fantasy hockey. A lot of people drafted him around the second round of their fantasy pools. And you know what? He hasn't been so great. At least he didn't have a great start. And here's like a curious thing, because he has been kind of heating up lately. He has been getting a decent number of points, but he's been doing it from the Flyers' third line, which is so curious. He's been split up from Giroux for a while now, playing with guys like Chris Vandeveld and Pierre-Edouard Bellemare. And you'd think in that position, he's not going to be able to put up many points but he has. Has it just been kind of luck that he's been able to put up some points on this third line and we should expect that to dry up? Do we think that he's going to get back to the top line? Like at this point, Brian, where do you see Jacob Voracek's value landing? Philadelphia's offense is pretty thin if you look at it. And I guess they've decided to go with the strategy of spreading it out. So you have Simmons on one line, Giroux on another, and Voracek on another. And usually they ran with like Giroux and Voracek together and like cycled in Raffle or Shen onto that top line while Simmons held down the second line this year, or at least at this point, it looks like that's not their plan. That's not what they're going for. And the fact that Voracek is producing on the third line, I would say that's a positive and not necessarily a sign that they're going to keep him there because, well, hey, that's kind of working it. I don't think you are going to produce a whole lot for a long period of time when you're playing next to Pierre-Edouard Belmer and Chris Vandeveld. Two of the longest names in the league, by the way, on the same line. That's pretty exciting. But if you're (laughs) getting impatient with Voracek, you know, I get it. I get it. But you know what you're going to hear from me when we talk about a guy like Voracek. In all likelihood, everything's going to be all right. And it already is. Eight points in his last 10 games. The volume of points should make up for the fact that they are all assists. And of course, the goals, they're going to come. His obvious issue is in his 5-on-5 shooting percentage, which has him with just a single goal this season on 77 shots, which sounds an awful lot like my own fantasy team most weeks. But his high-danger scoring chances are still coming, even though his general scoring chances for per 60 minutes are down. The ones that arguably count the most, he's still getting his fair share of them relative to previous years. Then you take a look at his on-ice shooting percentage, which is less than half of what it should be. And that's in some part due to his own misfortune. His own shooting percentage goes towards that number. 
but nothing seems to be going right for him personally or team-wise while he's on the ice this year. That's going to change at some point, too. And then you look at his shooting percentage on the power play, where he has zero goals on 25 shots. If we take a look at last year, he had nine goals on 57 power play shots, which would put him on pace for about four goals so far this year if he kept up the same shooting percentage, which he has since coming to Philadelphia in the last three years. He's had a couple years where he's had about a 15% shooting percentage. So hopefully that comes back up. And you know what? His shot generation on the power play is actually up from past years. So if he keeps getting those opportunities, he's going to cash in eventually. And when that comes together, it'll be really hard to keep him off the top line. I think there's nothing to worry about long term with Voracek, especially since he is still giving you points in the meantime, even though he's not scoring goals. Okay, Brian, can I play devil's advocate for a second? I love it when you play devil's advocate. Okay, so I'm just looking recently, and in his past four games, you talked about he has some points in his last 10 games. If you just look at his last four games, he only has two assists. They both came against New Jersey. They both came on the power play, which is great. Power play points are great. But, you know, he hasn't been really producing on that third line. You know, if you take out the power play points, if you look, actually, almost all of his points in his last 10 games are power play points. In fact, I'm looking closer, and I don't think he has an even strength point in his last nine games. So it's great that he's on that power play, and the Philadelphia power play is amazing. It's the whole reason why Shane Gosteb hair has a lot of value in fantasy right now. But I'd be concerned about if that power play cools off. I don't think anything's coming out of Voracek at even strength. And his ice time is a bit down. In his last four games, he's played 15 minutes and 40 seconds, 15.47, 17.03, and 14.15. And that's compared to his 18.5 average time on ice for the season. So it seems to me like Voracek is actually doing a little worse lately than he even was before, or at least he's getting less ice time. Also, his shots on goal seem to be down. Again, just kind of recently, like he had zero shots yesterday against Columbus, and then I'm seeing two, two, and one in his three games before that, as opposed to this more like a three shot per game that he's averaging over the season. So I wonder if he's on the third line and it is hurting him, and hopefully if he got back to the top line, I think that would improve all of these numbers and at least get him back to what he was doing before where he wasn't scoring goals, but at least taking shots. But yeah, I'm seeing some reasons to be concerned. Is there any reason for me to be second-guessing you here, or am I just being a nitnik? No, you do have reason to second-guess, and I was sort of rolling all this production into one big-picture thing, which maybe I was wrong to do. You're right, Elon, just one even-strength point in his last 10 games played. So that third-line situation isn't working out for him. I was sort of trying to say that even though that's not working out, the power play is still clicking, at least on the assist side of things. But all that tells me is that he can't last long. Like, they're not going to make him play his way off of a third line that has pretty much zero offensive potential aside from him. I feel like they're wasting him by putting him there. And I just don't understand how that can go on for much longer. I could be wrong. It could go on for another 10 games. I have no idea. But in my mind, it makes zero logical sense to do that. I mean, even look at what it's doing to his shot counts. He has just five shots on goal in his last four games. And this is from a guy who's averaging this year at least, you know, about two and a half shots per game, was doing very well in shooting in the last couple of years too, getting almost three shots per game. So five shots in four games, big red flag. You're like wasting a huge offensive asset on this third line right now. And I don't know how much longer you tolerate that as a coach or management or whatever position you have with the Flyers. 
Okay, so we're not going to say that he's droppable like Patrick Hornqvist, but you just kind of have to hope at this point that he gets back on the top line. At least he's giving you value from his power play points. And in some leagues, power play points are worth more than regular points. So definitely a guy that you're happy to have because he's on that top power play and it's producing. And you just expect it to go up, maybe by low. But, you know, at some point you have to stop saying by low. But but if there was a time, maybe now, while he's on the third line, because, yeah, I agree with you, you can't stay on the third line forever. Okay, a couple of the guys I already mentioned at the top of the segment. Jordan Eberle, he scored a goal in Edmonton's last game against Dallas. But before that, he went on a six-game pointless streak, which was concerning his owners for sure. And, like, why not? A lot of people drafted him, stashed him in IR, you know, hurt their chances early in the season, wasted, like, their fifth or sixth round. Wasted. Okay, we'll see. But used their fifth or sixth round pick to draft Eberle just to put him in the IR and replace him with someone who wasn't drafted just because they knew that he would have value when he came back. And he came back and he has now four goals in total in 14 games. No assists. I've been seeing his percentage ownership drop in ESPN. He was always a 100% owned guy for the longest time. Now he's down to 90%. And of course, his plus minus isn't helping you if that's a category in your league. He's minus 10 so far in these 14 games, which is pretty brutal. Imagine if that went over a full 82-game season. We're getting a lot of questions. What do I do about Eberle? Should I drop Eberle? Should I trade him for some no-name? guy or some guy on a hot streak should these Everly owners be concerned is he in the Hornquist territory or do you think he's going to be fine what keeps this from being another Hornquist situation well there's two things the first is that Eberle has played just about half as many games as Hornquist so our patience still has not necessarily completely run out on him and the second thing that makes it different is that his spot on the Edmonton Oilers depth chart is probably a fair bit more secure than Hornquist right now I don't see any danger of Eberle being moved down to the third line. In fact, Eberle was recently promoted to the top line, even though he hasn't been doing anything in an effort to get him going. But I understand everyone's frustration with him, especially if you look at the four goals he has scored so far this season. So two of them have come on the power play. One of them came in three-on-three overtime, and that leaves just one goal in 14 games at 5-on-5 even strength. And for a guy who you're hoping to get maybe 25, 30 goals over the course of a season, that is not okay. You need that even strength production to be there. The one goal that Jordan Eberle has scored, by the way, at even strength, at 5-on-5, is the only goal that he has been on the ice for this year at 5-on-5 as well. So the Oilers are not scoring anything while he's on the ice, not from Eberle, not from his teammates, and you can see that because he has zero assists. He has not been able to generate offense himself or set up teammates much, but I still hold out hope that everything is going to be okay. A lot of Oilers are having a tough time putting up goals and points right now. I think I'd hang on a little longer if I have Eberle, unless they're like a ton of free agents and you're in a super shallow league, then you can go ahead and swap him out. Otherwise, I'd give him another 5-10 games and see if he can get going. Yeah, I agree. As long as he's on the top line and the top power play in Edmonton, Jordan Eberle is a guy that you don't want to drop. We're talking about someone who's had 63 and 65 points in his last two seasons, 76 points in 78 games, just a couple of years before that so this is a guy who's a proven scorer and you don't want to just let him go let someone else grab him and then have him jump back to his you know almost a point a game pace at least let's say like three points in every four games he has that potential he's done it before he's having a bad stretch of luck right now but like you say the Oilers are struggling maybe and at the worst case when McDavid comes back you'd have to expect that things will get better but Brian this has been such a downer of an episode so far with the injuries and now the slumping players since we're talking about the Oilers how about we talk about the one silver lining 
Because even though the Oilers haven't really been scoring that many goals, they have won three of their last four games. And this is against teams like the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Boston Bruins, and the Dallas Stars. How have they done it? I'll tell you how. Because of the guy who you referred to as Nilsson Schmilson just a few episodes ago. I wonder if your position on him has changed because he has been lights out. His save percentage against Dallas was 977. He made 42 saves in that game. He stole that win against the Dallas Stars. And, you know, with those four games, he's really putting together a great season. He has a 921 save percentage. And this is on the Oilers, a team that it's so hard to have above, like, a 900 save percentage if you're their goalie. At least that's what it's been like for the past few seasons. Brian, are we still saying Nilsson Schmilson? Or are we going to upgrade him to maybe, like, a Nilsson Forilson? Well, it is starting to look that way, isn't it? He has 921 save percentage. I am still, obviously, not sold. I take a long time to warm up to goalies, and that's still is the case here with Anders Nielsen. I appreciate what he's done. That performance was outstanding. Several big saves, too. It's not like, you know, he could sleepwalk his way through 40 saves. I just don't know if he can keep this up through the rest of the year. And I still think that Talbot has to get another chance at some point during the season. Now, the one reason to think that maybe Nielsen could keep it up and maybe he's not the goalie we thought he was from some crummy seasons in the AHL is that, and Elon, I think you brought this up on the patron group on Facebook, which is that he's getting older, like he's 25 years old, maybe he's rounding into form, maybe he's maturing into a goalie that he just couldn't be in his earlier years. Maybe he's putting together all this experience and suddenly coming up and we wouldn't expect that to happen necessarily to a forward or a defenseman but with a goalie, that is still certainly a possibility. Yeah, and you know, those rough years in the AHL and NHL when he was with the Islanders in Bridgeport, you know, those ended in 2013-14. Last year, he played in the KHL. I don't really know what the level of competition was for him, but he had a 936 save percentage in that season with the Kazan Akbars, and he's carrying that over to the Oilers this season. And I don't know, I feel like... I'm curious to know when you'll be sold, like if slash when you would be sold, because, you know, there's other goalies like a Hellebuck who has come out of nowhere and has done amazing. And I get the sense from you that you're really high on Hellebuck, I guess, just because you think he's younger and has had a great pedigree all this time. But yeah, as a fantasy hockey podcasting expert, when would you decide that no, Talbot is not going to get another chance? And yes, Nielsen is the legit starter and really amazing starter for the Edmonton Oilers that he seems to be right now. Well, four straight quality starts is a good place to begin. He has 951, a 920, 915, and 977 in his last four outings, which is fantastic. In the four prior to that one, only two of them were quality starts. So I think what I'd want to see from him is I'd want to see another, say, give me another two or three weeks of mostly solid starts, where, say, 60, 65% of them our quality starts. That's what I'm looking for. It's great that he's done this in a short amount of time. And if he's available in your league, I'm at the point where I definitely suggest you pick him up if you need a starting goalie. That's very unlikely that he's still out there, though. Well, actually, he's only 24.8% owned in ESPN, I'm looking right now, which is crazy. Yeah, so you should grab him. Why not? And just be ready for your save percentage to potentially be blown up. But in the short term, I think he's still a good guy to look at right now. And I'm willing to be convinced for the long term. But again, Another two, three weeks of solid starts is what I'd like to see. All right, so let's check back in in 2016. We'll see if he's Nilsson Schmilson or Nilsson Ferilson. And since we're talking about goalies, let's go back to our slumping people that we're trying to figure out what to do with. On the other side of Nilsson is Pekka Rinne. 
we've been getting a lot of questions lately. I wonder if it's just they're trying to tap into that Keeping Carlson magic where we ask if the player sucks and that makes him better. So, Brian, I'm doing this for the Pecorine owners here. Does Pecorine suck? Because... His save percentage is 206 on the season. Nashville is not winning games. Like even when he's not playing well, you'd hope that Nashville could score some goals. They're supposed to be a good team. He only has two wins in Nashville's last 10 games. There's a bunch of losses, a bunch of just like the opposite of quality starts. Bad quality starts. I'm seeing just looking at the last 10 Nashville games back on November 17th, he had a 950 save percentage against Anaheim. And then there's a game against the Flyers where he had a 917. Aside from that, all lower than nine, all just like starts that blow up your save percentage, including yesterday against Detroit. Nashville had the lead in the third period. They blew it. He ended up letting in five goals, 861 save percentage, just brutal. What do we do with Pecorine right now? Is this going to last? Is he going to normalize? Should we maybe lower our expectations of what the starting goalie on Nashville should be capable of doing? Help these Pecorine owners, Brian. Well, the opposite of a quality start, Elon, is actually a really bad start. And in terms of goalies who have played 10 or more games this season, Pecorine is near the top of the list. Mike Smith has had the most really bad starts, followed by Sergei Bobrovsky, followed by Jonathan Quick and Tuka Rask. And then the next group includes Pecorine, and that's like a weird group, right? Like, we've had some issues with goalies so far this season, but if you look at quality start percentage, a lot of those guys have surpassed Rene in how many of their starts they can turn in a quality performance. Rene has just 11 quality starts in the 21 games where he's had an opportunity to post one. Those are not good numbers, and I feel like I load this like once every two weeks, because people seem to forget exactly what's happened to Pecorino over the last few years, which is that he just has not turned out to be as good as everybody thought he would be when he posted those huge seasons towards the beginning of his career. He had like a 930 and 928, but he's really been a middle of the road goalie in the NHL in the last few years, and that's been exacerbated by the coaching change, by the system change in Nashville that rewarded goalies like Chris Mason and Dan Ellis and Anders Lindback. And at one point, it rewarded him. It's not the case anymore. His defense can't win him games. He can't win his team games because of a tight defensive system. He is pretty much a middle-of-the-road goaltender. Anybody who's expecting an above-average save percentage from Pecorine, I think you were setting the bar too high. I think what you should expect from him going forward are decent numbers. Like, he shouldn't be blowing up your numbers as badly as he is and as frequently as he is, but he also should not be the savior of your fantasy team. If you want to think of him as, like, say, Jonathan Quick or Marc-Andre Fleury or even, like, a Devin Dubnik from this year, that would make sense. But trying to think of him as more of, like, a Carey Price or Steve Mason or Henrik Lundqvist, that would be a little more difficult. So, okay, you're saying he's not as good as maybe people hoped he would be, but is he a guy that you're afraid to start moving forward, or at least at this point? Because, you know, when you have a really bad start, like the ones that Rene has been giving you, that just ruins your whole week of goalie stats. Should people start being afraid of playing Pecorine? I don't think this is going to be the norm for Pecorine. If you look at his last seven starts, six of them have given him a save percentage of 875 or less That's not going to happen every seven starts. Six of them are going to be like that. I think he's going to be okay. Things will normalize a little bit. But if you're hoping for him to start posting like a 920, 925 more often than not, then I think your expectations are unrealistic. Right now he's at a 906 save percentage. 
I'd like to see him fight his way back up to like a 9-17 by the end of the season, which will entail a couple big performances, but otherwise he just needs to be steady and average, not blowing up your numbers most of the way. Okay, yeah, well, hopefully just me asking the question will mean he'll bounce back just like it worked for Jonathan Quick earlier in the year. Still a couple more slumping guys I wanted to get to. So really quickly, Brian, Redeem Verbata has had a really bad year so far. He only has 12 points in 26 games, no points in his last four games. And I already know the answer. He's not playing with the Sedins. When you're not with the Sedins and you're on the Canucks, you're not really playing with anyone very good, unfortunately. They were shut out by Boston yesterday. The Canucks seem like they're in trouble, and I feel like having Redeem Verbata is not the best thing for your roster right now. I feel like he might be in the Hornquist category, except not being in the top six in Pittsburgh basically is equivalent to not being in the top three in Vancouver. Brian, is there a reason for people to hold on to Redeem Verbata? I guess I see he has a lot of shots. Yeah, that's one reason to hang on to him. Another is that he's still doing all right. All his underlying numbers seem to be reasonable They haven't fallen off terribly. It's just that I feel like the guy is being keyed on completely every time he's on the ice without the Sedins. Everybody knows that he is far and away the biggest scoring threat aside from them on the Vancouver Canucks. And why should opposition teams bother with, you know, say Bo Horvat today anyway, maybe in a few years the case will be different, or Chris Higgins or anyone else who Verbat is on the ice with? One reason why you might consider dropping him, he might be just draining you. If your league counts plus minus, he's a minus 17. He's been a minus 6 over his last four games played. So a slumping score who's actually hurting you, not just doing nothing, but actively working against your team's best interests. That could be a reason why you want to cut ties with him. If I were a Radim Verbata owner, I'd be incredibly frustrated, but I'd look at his 91 shots And hopefully I'm in a league where plus minus doesn't count and I'd still hang on a little longer because like I said, everything still looks pretty good under the hood, even though he hasn't been playing with the Sedins a whole lot. I tried to take a look at where his shots are coming from on the ice. Unfortunately, that feature on War on Ice is broken at the moment, but you can head on over to waronice.com, look up their player hex tallies and have a look and see where his shots are coming from. I imagine it's not as good as last year, but they still should be decent. He's still... I feel, deserves more than the six goals he has to date so far this year. Maybe he should have, say, four more, which would give him only 16 points in 26 games with a minus 17. Does that make him a relevant fantasy player in your league? Well, I don't know. I don't think so. I feel like with Verbata right now, if I was in a somewhat shallow league, like a medium to shallow league, a lot like my advice with Hornquist, I think you could probably drop him and not have someone else pick him up. But as soon as the news comes out that he's going back to the top line, I'd grab him right away. I know I just wrote on Facebook yesterday, someone asked about Verbata, and I said he is the kind of guy that can break out at any moment. And I think he will break out if he gets back on that top line. But if he's wasting a spot on your roster right now, I really don't expect much production to come from him playing with Horvat and Higgins. One more guy, Brian. We just got a tweet this morning from at Sideshow Perry saying, at Keeping Carlson, love the show, guys. Quick one. Is it time to cut ties with Joe Thornton? I'm wondering the same thing. Brian, we have him in our joint league, and he seemed like such a great draft pick early on. But now with only one assist in his last eight games, he's down to 15 points in 26 games on the year, on pace to be one of his worst years ever if he's to keep this up. The 36-year-old has 
been above like a 65 point player and even more like a 70 point player pretty much for his whole career last year i guess was his worst year with 65 points and 78 games now he's on pace to do even worse than that are we at the end of the time that we can expect solid production from joe thornton or do you think this is just a bit of a blip and he'll bounce back this year and at least get us that 65 points it feels like it was just last week or within the last few weeks anyway that we were lauding joe thornton for playing the sort of game where he can produce into old age he makes efficient use of each stride he's got good eyes good vision still can set up players as well as he ever has even at 36 years old but now yeah now we're letting concern start to settle in about what he's capable of doing 15 points in 26 games is nothing terrible but it's also not what we'd be hoping for from him over the course of the rest of the season we want him to pick it up so my first thought was to look over and see well what's his line mate joe pavelski doing joe pavelski rolling along as good as ever so it's not a line issue joe thornton's on ice shooting percentage is also fairly decent so that's not the culprit either his own personal shooting percentage is just fine he's never been a goal scorer anyway he's been more of someone who sets up other players so what's happening it looks like the offense is not going through joe thornton as much as it used to over the last couple years and last couple years his ipp was up at 75 percent this year so far it's at 55 percent and i don't know if that's a number that's going to rise i don't know if the offense has figured out a way to work without him i don't know why he's not getting involved in more goals but the fact is is that it seems like he's not as needed to generate the offense as he used to be needed and that is definitely a flag for concern i wouldn't give up on him just yet there's going to be peaks and valleys in any player season i'm hoping this is just a valley because he did start off so strong and everyone was really excited about his start I'm hoping he still can pick it back up beyond the pace where he's at right now. Yeah, well, the one thing that's different about Joe Thornton than like a Patrick Hornquist, like you said about Everly, is he's on that top line. He's on the top power play. He's getting huge minutes. He played 22 and a half minutes yesterday against Tampa Bay, had four shots on goal. But again, nothing to show for it. I think, Brian, as long as he's on this top line and top power play, we should hang on to him in our joint league. But let's go, Joe Thornton. Let's pick it up. But yeah, I guess worth mentioning... You brought up Joe Pavelski. He's got 25 points in 26 games on this season. So Joe Pavelski has been fantastic. I still remember a couple of years ago when everyone thought that his amazing breakout year wasn't going to repeat itself. But this guy is for real. I've been seeing questions, people asking us really tough ones. Like, should I trade Phil Kessel for Joe Pavelski? And you know, at this point, I think I'd rather have Pavelski. Just consistent production all the time. He gets shots, goals, assists. He does it all. Way to go, Joe. Pavelski. Thornton, pick it up. Okay, and with that, let's stop talking about these slumping players. This has been a downer of an episode. Let's pick it up. We have a number of players on hot streaks. Before we get to that, I wanted to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson. Before we get to that, I have actually a fantasy hockey strategy question I wanted to talk about, Brian, really quickly. We got a question from Derry, a new patron to Keeping Carlson, and he's been a great poster in the Keeping Carlson patron-only Facebook group. He asked, isn't it all numbers? And he's talking about leagues where you have to make weekly lineup decisions so normally we talk about guys where you could add and drop them throughout the week but some leagues you sort of set your lineup at the start of the week and then that's it and when that's the case you really have to look at the number of games played for each of your players because if players playing four games that's a lot more valuable than a guy who's only playing two and a lot of times we get questions where you're deciding between a big star on your team like a phil kessel let's say but only playing two or three games versus, say, a guy like on the next level, like a Mike Camilleri, like someone's still really good, but not 
someone who you'd expect to be as high as someone like Kessel, even though right now Kemlery probably has more points than Kessel's, so maybe it's not the best example. But you know, you're deciding between someone a little lower but playing more games or someone a little higher but playing fewer games. And I feel like a lot of the time we just say, you know, play your best player. He's more likely to break out. But Derry brought up the point, like, shouldn't you just be looking at points per game and dividing it? Like, you know, you come up with what you think the guy's pace is going to be and multiply it by the number of games that they're going to play this week. And, you know, if the number is higher for one player than the other, does it really matter who the player is? Like Ovechkin playing only two games, isn't that only equally as good as a guy who scores half as many goals but plays double the games in the week? So, Brian, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Do you think that we should be looking only at points per game and doing the math? Or do you like to just go with the superstar even though he's playing fewer games? That actually is how I like to go about it, by doing the math. So, yeah, you take the player's point pace for the season so far or over the last two seasons, whatever you want, and then multiply that by the number of games they're playing this week and take whichever player has the highest number coming out of that then there is the consideration like if you have say phil kessel playing two games and brandon peary playing four well there's two extra games there for peary which is promising but kessel is the guy who's more likely to break out into like a two three even four point game and you don't want him on your bench when that happens so there's a lot of thought that has to go into this and then also strength of schedule is the other consideration is a player playing at home Are they playing against good goalies? Those are the other things that you need to take into account. So I like to try and keep it very rote and neutral as possible. I tend to lean towards a mathematical angle. And then if what I see doesn't really align with how my gut feels, then the two sort of fight it out. And that's when I turn to strength of schedule or scoring slumps or streaks. But overall, it's a tough one. And I would encourage no one to rack their brain too hard about it because at the end of the day, it could just be a coin flip. And you're going to do the best you can with the information that you have. Yeah, I feel like I've been slowly converted over the week thinking about it. At first, I was thinking more along the lines of I would want to start my star players. Like, I wouldn't want to ever bench Ovechkin just because he's Ovechkin. You drafted him early not to sit on your bench. But I'm thinking more as the week's gone on, you know, any given player, like you say, Kessel can break out. But Kessel could also just as likely have a zero-point game. And if Puri is just as likely as Kessel to once in a while have a zero-point game. Maybe that's not the case. But you know, like I feel like if you just look at their average points that you expect, don't look maybe at the past. The past doesn't necessarily predict the future. But you could come up with in your head how many points per game you think this player is worth moving forward. Divide that by the number of games in a season. Multiply that by four. That's the number of points you should expect them to give you. And I think that's how you should make your decision. I think when I get these questions moving forward, I'm going to try to do that on the Facebook group when giving advice and not just sort of go with the easy answer of the better player. Anyway, something interesting. I'd be curious if any listeners have any other ideas of how they deal with the situation of deciding who to play and who to bench in a given week. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. And like I said, this was an interesting discussion we had on the Keeping Carlson patron-only Facebook group. If you want to get in on interesting discussions like that and support this podcast, why not check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron? You could sign up to support the show. $5 a month is what we ask for, and in exchange, we give you access to our Facebook group, and you get to join our monthly patron cast. The holiday times are coming. You're thinking about giving gifts. Why not give a gift to the podcast that's giving you, hopefully, a lot of good fantasy advice? We'd really appreciate it, and it's a lot of fun being a patron. It's not just a donation. It's not just like a gift that you're going to give to your nephew that he's probably never going to play with. We're going to appreciate it, and you're going to get something out of it. So give it a try. By the way, you can become a patron and then stop being a patron if you don't like it. If you're currently a patron, don't listen to what I just said. But no, it is true. You could just always cancel your patronage at Patreon. But yeah, why not try it out 
$5, join the Facebook group. I think you'll be sold. It's really great. Like people ask for fantasy hockey advice. You know, should I make this trade? Should I drop this player? Should I do this or that? And, you know, usually there's five or six answers within the first 10 minutes. Like it's that, I don't want to oversell it, but there is a lot of really smart people giving insightful answers. Brian and I always try to answer every question as well. So if you have any interest at all, check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron for more details, or you can tweet at us at keepingcarlson if you have any questions. We'd love to have you aboard. Another benefit of being a patron is you would have already had exclusive patrons-only access to our brand new Keeping Carlson t-shirt. It's the best t-shirt in the world, designed by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. The patrons have a special link. One benefit of being a patron is that the patrons can buy the shirt at cost, so we won't make a penny off it. But if you are not a patron and you want to support the show in a non-patron kind of way, you can head on over to keepingcarlson.com slash shirt. Yeah, designer for my work, Anthony Watts, designed the shirt. I think it looks really cool. So check it out. Let us know what you think. Buy the shirt. Maybe you'll like it. Okay, Brian, we have so many more players to talk about. So many players who are on hot streaks that we need to mention and discuss whether you should be adding them to your fantasy teams. Let's start with some Leafs talk, because there's been a lot of intrigue coming out of Toronto. Last week, there was this whole thing with Bernier being sent to the minors for a conditioning stint when Reimer was scheduled to come back from injury. Reimer still hasn't come back. And that means that Garrett Sparks has been the goalie over the past week. And I remember last Monday, Brian, we started our new matchup in our joint league and our opponent picked up Garrett Sparks because it was announced that he would be starting for the Leafs against Edmonton. And I remember thinking, oh, that's a waste of an acquisition because we only get three acquisitions per week in that league. Next thing I knew, I had egg all over my face because Garrett Sparks got the shutout and pretty much the fantasy hockey world blew up, like slash r slash fantasy hockey on Reddit, Twitter. Like everyone was talking about Garrett Sparks. He had this amazing tweet where he said this is for the people who played me in fantasy hockey which got like a million retweets everyone was loving Garrett Sparks maybe people were wondering is he the next Connor Hellebuck or John Gibson one of these guys who's going to come out of nowhere and then become really valuable to your fantasy team he was getting added in a bunch of leagues things cooled down a lot in his next game against Winnipeg later in the week it was Hellebuck versus Sparks battle of the young new goalies and Hellebuck did amazing and Sparks not so much led in six goals but then yesterday against St. Louis Sparks got the start again and had a really good game so all in all in three games Sparks has two wins 920 save percentage Brian if he's available in people's leagues should they be going to grab him or is he just going to get sent down to the minors soon it's only a matter of time before he's out of the Leafs NHL goaltending picture again he's a really nice guy though very nice of him to say that that start was for everyone who started him in their fantasy leagues and then later in the week he gave a gift to all the people who are playing against the teams that started him in their fantasy leagues (laughs) getting shellacked for six goals against Winnipeg where I think some of the hype was obviously killed I'm not going to draw any conclusions from a six goal game or from a zero goal shutout in any case I believe he will spend most of the rest of the season in the AHL playing for the Marlies he has a great story though coming up from the Orlando Solar Bears as detailed by James Myrtle in the Globe and Mail if you just google James Myrtle Garrett Sparks Solar Bears you'll get a pretty good story about his route up to the NHL but yeah if you were thinking of adding him and getting any long-term benefit I would actually rather have Bernier on my roster still than have dropped him to add Sparks. And yeah, just as Sparks has this interesting rise to the NHL, Bernier is having quite the fall. This really highly touted goalie that the Leafs went out of their way to get a couple of years ago. He's had a brutal season overall, 888 save percentage. And then I guess the icing on the cake is that he's now been sent to the minors, which must be pretty embarrassing. But it seems like he's taken it in stride because he had a shutout in his first game in the minors a couple of days ago. So maybe that means Bernier is going to get his game 
game back and come and challenge Reimer again? He'll go down. He'll work on his game. I wouldn't know if he's going to get shutouts all the way through. Like, sometimes when players go down to the minors and have poor performances, say, like Ryan Strom, it's because they're working on other aspects of their game and point production, or in a goalie's case, good save percentage is not the primary objective. It's to figure out what's wrong with your game, tweak it, make it better so it's NHL-ready again. Hopefully that's what happens to Jonathan Bernier. At some point, he's going to be able to come back up to the NHL, get in a start or two, especially with James Reimer's inconsistent health, which should be worrisome for Reimer owners, except for the fact that he had a fantastic game against Minnesota, during which apparently he was still somewhat injured. So now he's taken two games off, and then I expect him to come back and be the Leafs starter once he's clear to play again. Yeah, Reimer, what an amazing season. He's had 935 save percentage on the year. Unreal. Makes Nilsson look like nothing. Makes him look like Nilsson Schmilson. Just to be clear, Nilsson Schmilson was not like a total dig at Anders Nilsson. It was actually a reference to an album by Harry Nilsson from the 70s. Oh, okay. I'm sure we all got that. <laughs> and since we're talking about goalies, there are some other goalies who have been doing amazingly well lately. I brought him up just a little while ago, but John Gibson, we have to talk about him, right? On Anaheim, that whole goalie situation is also quite head-scratching. Anderson's been out with injury. Kudobin, not getting any games. They brought up Gibson and he has been fantastic. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago when he'd only played two or three games, and at that point, you know, he had one good game, then a couple of just average games. Since then, two shutouts, and again, an average game against Tampa Bay, but overall, John Gibson has a 942 save percentage in his six games on the season, and now I'm very curious to know, like, this flu, flus don't usually last this long. Frederick Anderson is going to have to be taken off the IR at some point, and what's going to happen? Are they going to send Kudobin down, but then he'd have to clear waivers? Are they going to send Gibson down, but then maybe there would be riots? Is Anderson going to get traded? I've been reading about that. Brian, any sense of what's going to happen? A lot of rumors flying around right now, but let's just stay focused on the fact that Frederick Anderson was out with the flu, and I think it was just the flu. I think a lot of people were getting suspicious, but apparently he didn't eat for five days or something like that, so needed to get back to NHL game weight, game shape, before stepping back into the lineup, but it's very difficult to ignore what John Gibson has been doing. I know in my cupful league, one of our patrons picked him up like a month ago, and he's still in the AHL, and it was like Kudobin, was pushing Anderson for the job, and there seemed to be no need for Gibson to ever come into the picture. And he's just like, yeah, just in case. I just feel like I should have Gibson. And sure enough, Gibson gets called up on a fantastic run right now. If he's available in your league and you're looking for a goalie, it would be a mistake to leave him on the waiver wire much longer. Yeah, there's a good chance. Like We don't know what's going to happen, but there's a chance that Anderson could just get traded and Gibson could be the undisputed starter on a good Anaheim team. So yeah, don't leave it to chance. Just grab Gibson if you can. I did actually in my cupful league. He wasn't picked up. I was surprised he was available. You know, a few games into this stretch, I decided I had to do it. I dropped some good players to get him because my team is so awesome, but I think it was worth it. He's been helping me this week. We'll see how he does today. And I'm that's the thing I'm most curious about in the NHL right now is what's going to happen in the Anaheim Nets. And we went into detail last week about how anyone's guess is as good as mine in that respect. But Gibson is really looking like he's forcing Anaheim's hand. How can you send a guy down to the minors who is doing this well for a team 
that was struggling, that was really looking for somebody to step up in the crease and wasn't getting anything from the two guys that they hoped to step up. If you're looking at the rest of the season, it's a little more difficult. If you're looking at the next two, three weeks, then Gibson is much more interesting. I can't wait to see how this whole thing is resolved. And keep in mind, of course, that if you're in any kind of keeper format, Gibson will almost 100% certainly be the number one goalie going into next season. Yeah, it's definitely looking that way. And okay, we talked about Rene earlier. Since we're on this goalie run, one more. The opposite of Pekka Rene, someone who started the year so badly but has been just lights out fantastic lately is Sergei Bobrovsky has to be mentioned not sure what fantasy advice we can give you just hopefully you held on to Bobrovsky through that rough stretch he's played in nine out of Columbus's last 10 games he's only had one game with a bad save percentage it was a bad game against San Jose on November 22nd aside from that I'm seeing all like there was a shutout against Nashville then I'm seeing like 964 969 960 just amazing games Columbus isn't giving him like as many wins as he probably deserves which is a shame but Bobrovsky has been fantastic so good for you and guys, let's just remember for next year, if this happens again, Bobrovsky is an elite goalie in the league and you shouldn't drop him if he has a bad run. Yeah, he really picked it up. I don't know what more there is for me to say, except we thought maybe that this dry run would last into November and through November. Thank goodness for his owners that it didn't. And it should be pretty smooth sailing over the course of the rest of the season. Seems like things in Columbus have somewhat stabilized. That top line is still going through hot and cold streaks in terms of production, but on the team level, it seems like they are more even keeled than they were for those first 10 or 12 horrible games to start the season. And okay, Brian, it's 10.55, so I'm going to jump ahead and ask you about a player that I might want to make a bid for in my couple in the next five minutes. So Brian, how about Elias Lindholm over on Carolina? He's on quite the run, and I remember we talked about him as a snoozer earlier in the season because he was doing nothing for a long stretch but he had a five game point streak recently in his last two games he hasn't had any points but he's had five shots in each of his last two games six shots the games before so he's taking shots he's on the top line you know Eric Stahl is his line mate he's on the top power play played 20 minutes yesterday against Montreal so Elias Lindholm like everything is looking great for him do you see him as someone that people should be adding and that I should be adding should I be dropping Brock Nelson to pick up Elias Lindholm right now He went from a sleeper at the start of the season to a snoozer a couple weeks ago, and now he's finally showing up. He still only has seven points in 26 games on the season, so that five-game point streak was sorely needed. But those 16 shots on goal in his last three games are incredible, and they make him very hard to ignore. The problem with Carolina again this season, though, is that nobody seems to be scoring goals. Nobody's getting points. If you look at Eric Stahl, you saw his frustration at having a goal disallowed the other night. And why wouldn't he feel that way? He has just four points in his last 10 games, hasn't scored a goal in longer than that. So that's the danger with adding anybody who's playing for Carolina right now, is that just points are so hard to come by. And when there is a goal, you've just got to cross your fingers that your guy happens to get in on it because there's no guarantee another one is coming up anytime soon. With that said, Brock Nelson is on a bit of a dry spell right now. He's still on the top line, but the production has gone cold. He has just one point in his last eight games, and that was an assist on the power play. So at even strength, he's not doing a whole lot. He's not taking a ton of shots either. He could go on another run sometime soon. If I had to choose between him and Lindholm right now, uh, it's it's actually a toss-up. I really like Lindholm's shots, but I feel like Nelson has a better chance of getting that sustained production in there again for at least a short period of time. The other hurricane that I might be interested in since you brought them up is Jeff Skinner. 
all of a sudden has four goals in his last seven games. He had a pair against Montreal just the other night. His shot count is kind of returning to form. Those are promising signs from a guy who we know can do it. He's been a 30-goal guy twice in his NHL career last year, just 18 on the season. He has nine points now in 26 games played, which is not impressive. It's much more impressive when you frame it as five points in his last seven, which is what we're going to look at with Jeff Skinner. If you have a spot open on your team and you don't know what to do with it, there's a bunch of options that you're not crazy about. I think Jeff Skinner would be as good an option as a guy like Lindholm or Nelson would. Yeah, and I guess Nelson is still on the top line and top power play on the Islanders, so you would expect him to pick it up eventually. But yeah, a bit of a cold streak right now. And you know, it's a streaming spot. All right, next on my list, Brian, let's talk about Evander Kane. I know that people are probably thinking, you should talk about Patrick Kane. He's doing amazing, but that's obvious. Evander Kane is someone who we were really frustrated with because we thought finally he'd get things going, moving to a new team in Buffalo just to get injured. Then he came back. Then he got injured again. I was like, ugh. But you know what? People are asking us questions about if they should now maybe get rid of Evander Kane because he's probably just going to get injured yet again. But you know what? I'm still holding out hope because he's been so good when he's playing. Like, he's got six points in his last three games, two assists, three games games ago then two goals and two goals he's taking so many shots he has 57 shots overall on the year in 16 games and he's had like a six shot game recently also he's playing big minutes with buffalo and he's on the top power play which is something you couldn't say about him back when he was on winnipeg so it's just like everything is going right for him hopefully hopefully he could stay healthy i wish i had him in one of my leagues because i think he's a stud and i think we should be treating him like a fantasy stud even though he's likely gonna get injured and hurt you but i think it's worth the risk he'll hurt you and he'll hurt himself if he gets injured, but I agree. It is absolutely worth the risk. He is showing that he's still got something, maybe more than just something, to give in the NHL for the Buffalo Sabres. We knew a change of scenery might help him. We also knew a good run of health would help him. We've seen one of the two fingers crossed that he can stay healthy because if he does, I believe that he can keep up a similar pace to what he's on right now. Okay, and another guy who was on a nice hot streak, someone who had a lot of hype going into the season, but then disappointed a lot of people, Valerie Nishushkin. He went on a four points in three game run that ended with no points against Edmonton in his last game. And all of a sudden, everyone was rushing to grab Nishushkin. And the reason is because he was playing on the top line with Ben and Sagan. This is what we've been waiting for this whole time. It was announced or more like we just saw. I remember actually, I saw that he had a goal that was assisted by Sagan. And it was kind of like, oh, how did that happen? Then he took a look at Dauber Hawk you can see the real-time line combinations for games that are still going on and I saw he was playing on the top line we were talking about on the Facebook group like right away I feel like three different people posted saying hey Nichushkin's on the top line should we be grabbing him in Brian in your cupful league he got added for like $15 a $15 bid which is crazy out of $100 max all this to say he didn't get any points against Edmonton like I said and more concerning that he was already off the top line so I remember when people were going crazy over Nichushkin earlier in the week I was thinking well let's not get too crazy because that top line spot is shuffled around so much I wasn't expecting him to stay there. Maybe he'll get back there, though. If you picked him up, I guess at this point you might as well hold on. But if he's on your waiver wire, I don't know if I would, like, rush to grab him, to be honest. That is what a lot of people did, and I feel like they're kicking themselves after how quickly... He came off the first line, and you're just remembering all over again, oh, right, Valerie Nichushkin, this is what happens. We have huge hopes. We think he's going to be a huge impact player, does nothing, ends up off that line. And if he's not on that line, I don't think we can expect a whole lot from him. Yeah, I mean, he was there.
there for most of the last game against Edmonton, and then he was brought off, I guess, just because they couldn't score against Anders Nielsen, and Sharp went back for a bit, so we'll see what happens in the next game. I just wonder if, like, people would be getting so excited if, let's say, Cody Eakin was back on that top line. I don't think people would be rushing to grab him. Obviously, Nachushkin has more of a pedigree, and people were more excited about him before, but yeah, he'll be good one day, probably this season. I just don't see it happening. He had a nice run, but I wouldn't go crazy over him. I'd much rather, obviously, Evander Kane, who I just mentioned earlier. Yeah, the value right now of Nachushkin's upside in itself, essentially, it's a coin flip. It's like, is this the time that he's going to activate that upside? Yes or no? 50-50, flip a coin. And it seems like the coin is generally against him in recent attempts. So we'll keep an eye on how things move forward in Dallas, on how much longer of a look he gets on that top line. And if he does, you'll also want to keep an eye on Patrick Sharp because he has been a huge beneficiary of playing on that top line so far this season. Then again, second line riding shotgun with Jason Spezza is not so shabby either. One player on a line that is pretty shabby right now in Colorado, there's a line with Carl Soderberg, John Mitchell, and Blake Como. And that has been Carl Soderberg's line for a good chunk of the last month or so. But in that last month, he's got 10 points in 13 games played, three goals, seven assists, and averaging essentially three shots a game with a couple big nights, a six shot night here, a four shot night there. And he has six power play points on the season, although he hasn't had one very recently. He's someone you should be watching as maybe a deep add in your league. I know he's still available in several. If you're looking for somebody a little off the radar right now, Carl Soderberg might be your guy, although he is center eligible only in many formats, which might decrease his value as there are several serviceable centers in most free agent pools. And speaking of Colorado and free agent pool material, there is a player on that team who was left for dead by several owners, and we've already talked about this a fair amount. After two points in 10 games played, Matt Duchesne was left behind by a lot of owners who had hopes, and rightfully so, but I just want to point out he is inching his way towards a point-per-game pace. His 22 points in his last seven 17 games give him 24 points in 27 games on the season. If he keeps scoring at this rate, which by the way is kind of unlikely, he's playing a little bit over his head, even with all the great things that are happening with his line mates and so on, then he will be at a point per game pace. But the fact that he has dug himself out of such a deep hole is very impressive. So way to go, Matt Duchesne. <laughs> Brian, you love Matt Duchesne. I feel like, okay, like I'm very excited to hear what you have to say about Matt Duchesne next week. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be much of the same. But yeah, he's been fantastic and hopefully people held on to him and didn't trade too low. Okay, the next guy I wanted to bring up, how about Michael Delzato? Everyone's talking about Gostebert, and I brought him up earlier in the episode and was saying how he's a beneficiary of being on the Flyers' top power play, and for sure he has been. But sort of under the radar, Michael Delzato, who was doing nothing all season long, he's also definitely benefited from the Mark Strait injury. He's getting so much more ice time than he was getting before. Clearly the leader on Philadelphia. It's one of these rare cases where the top ice time guy isn't the top power play guy. But you can't ignore the facts. Like, He has four points in his last five games. He's had a couple of really great games in terms of shots on goal. He had a seven-shot game against Nashville. He had five shots against Ottawa, three shots yesterday against Columbus, where he didn't get a point. But yeah, he had those shots. So he's helping you in points. He's helping you in shots. And all of a sudden, he's really starting to become a blocks guy. He had three blocks yesterday against Columbus, then four blocks the game before that, five before that. So I think, you know, this increased ice time must be giving him more opportunity to block shots, and he's taking advantage. So he's becoming quite quite the category filler 
other, I didn't even mention hits. He's had four, three, two, four hits in his last few games. So Michael Delzato is doing it all. And I think that if you're in a league where you would benefit from his peripherals, you definitely need to add him. And even if you're just in a league for points, you probably also want to take a look at least as long as Mark Stride is out. I think Michael Delzato is a guy you don't want to let sit there for much longer. If you are playing big minutes on that Philadelphia Flyers team whose depth chart we referenced earlier on this episode, then you are going to see a fair amount of rubber coming your way. And I think you're absolutely right, Elon. The increase in his number of minutes is directly correlated to the increase in his number of blocks and hits. And it's nice to see him doing something. I know a lot of people had high hopes for him coming into the season. And then Strite really just ran away with that number one power play job. Not that it was ever really up for grabs, but we thought maybe there would be a slow transition happening. But now with Strite out, it presented an opportunity for Delzato, and he has been very good to take it. Another defenseman who I think you might be interested in, if he's available on your waiver wire, is Mike Green. He had a really terrible start to the season. Two points in seven games, just one power play point, only six shots on goal in those seven games, and then he got injured. So he was really unremarkable for a while, and if you didn't have an IR spot available on your roster for Mike Green you might have dropped him, and rightfully so. But now, since he's come back from injury, he is on a bit of a roll. In his last 14 games, he has 9 points, 3 of them coming on the power play, 29 shots, not going to help you a whole lot in peripherals. His blocks and hits are nothing to get excited about. But his point production certainly is. He has four points in his last five games specifically, and he should not be on anybody's free agent list anymore. If you had any doubts about Mike Green in Detroit... They should start to fade with this sort of performance. Yeah, hopefully if you drafted him this year, you didn't drop him after this early bad performance and then the injury because he's been great lately and I'm very happy to have him on my Cupful team. Here's a guy I want to mention now who we sort of like mentioned him here and there. He's sort of just not going away. Oscar Lindbergh, at first we thought his run was for sure nothing that was going to last and it didn't. Like the pace he was on was completely unsustainable. But at this point, it's getting hard to ignore. He's got three goals in his last five games. Games. He had five shots on goal in his last game against Colorado. And the thing that's really starting to get me interested is I just read on Rotowire that he was moved to the Rangers' top line in practice yesterday, and he might be playing with Rick Nash and Chris Kreider today for the Rangers. So it's a good opportunity for Lindbergh, who before we were saying, yeah, he's getting points, but he's not on a great line and he's not getting big minutes, so we don't expect too much from him. At this point, I feel like I would take a flyer on him. I think if you're in a relatively deep league and he's still available, he's been putting up all these points getting low minutes with bad line mates who knows what he can do now that he's on the top line at this point brian i'm ready to say i'm ready to buy in on oscar Lindbergh. what do you think i don't know he does keep on shrugging he's definitely not my kind of player with 10 goals on 48 shots that's a shooting percentage of almost 21 percent His on-ice shooting percentage is also high. Of course, it's going to be a little higher if he's playing on that top line. So anybody, anytime on a top line, especially in New York, that's a pretty decent place to be. That piques my interest for sure, more than if he just kept scoring a goal like every two games somehow, as he's been doing on the third line most nights. Yeah, well, you're right that he hasn't taken many shots, and that's why it seems like his goals won't last. But in his last two games, he has five and three shots respectively, so maybe he's starting to put more rubber on the net, and maybe that will lead to him being able to sustain the number of goals that he's been able to score. Definitely someone to watch at this point now that he's on the top line, if he wasn't before. Yeah, I definitely don't mean to hold anyone's high shooting percentage against them. That doesn't mean that going forward, they're not going to be a relatively stable scorer. It's just trying to figure out, well, of all that they've done so far, 
how much weight should I put into it? Somebody who has not done much so far this season, and I've been stressing very much about how much weight to put into it, is Marion Gaverick, who is now on a little bit of a run for the first time this year. He's on a three-game point streak. He's got two goals and two assists in that time. But if you look back over the last five games he's played, he's got five points, which is really promising. And like, it's still a, a small little run, but he's still been putting shots on goal consistently through the year. And he has scored a few goals, four goals in his last 10 games played, which is inching that shooting percentage up to where you'd hope it'll belong and stay for the rest of the season. He had a seven shot game recently and even more promising his ice time has risen over the last five games or so. Earlier this month, he was seeing like maybe 13, 14 minutes. It dipped down to 12 minutes, but recently he had a 19-minute game. Then he played 17 minutes the next night, 16 minutes the next two nights. Promising signs from a guy who definitely still has a scoring touch, just needs to put it all together, and I'm confident that Gabrick's going to be able to be more consistent going forward through the season. Okay, Brian, let's do one more player each before we close out the show. I have a question for you. Who do you think over the last 30 days has the most points for the Minnesota Wild? Well, I already know because I added him to my team last week, actually during the show. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. Okay, and I wish I had the opportunity to do that as well. But yeah, Mikhail Grandland is just on fire. He had a slow start to the year, but at this point, it just cannot be ignored. 11 points in his last 13 games. Zach Parise's back. They're playing together. And even a little bonus, he's been taking some shots lately. In his last three games, he has four, four, and five shots. And this is a guy who normally was just so obviously going to only give you zero, one, or two shots maybe in every game. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's getting these shots. I don't expect that to continue, but the points, you know, like, why not? He's getting all these points because he's getting assists on goals by great players. He's on the top line. He's on the top power play. Still not 100% owned in most leagues. And if he's available in yours, I think you're going to run out of time very soon. You have to add Mikhail Granlund. Maybe I'm reaching a little bit when I say one reason for Mikhail Granlund's ability to put up points lately has been the return of Jason Pominville, who went 21 games without a goal. We detailed his struggles on the podcast, and then he started scoring his three goals in his last four games, although one was an empty netter, to be fair. But he is throwing shots on goal. If you look at his last six games, he has 25 shots on goal, so averaging more than four shots per game. And so he is starting to enter back into the conversation to be a rosterable player. If he was dropped in a semi-deep league or a shallow league that you're in, and he's sitting at the top of free agency right now, now is the time to start keeping an eye on him because things seem to finally start to be turning his way. And I guess, Brian, if Jason Pominville is your player, then it looks like we're done. This has been a really fun show. We've covered definitely a lot of ground, a lot of snoozers, a lot of players on hot streaks. So now you have to decide whether you're going to drop one of your snoozers for one of your players on hot streaks. And maybe I shouldn't say snoozers, because snoozers implies that you should definitely get them off your roster. A lot of these guys that we talked about, it's still unsure. Eberly, Hornqvist, it's hard. But that's what makes fantasy hockey so fun. If you're still unsure, feel free to tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. We're happy to give you advice over Twitter. Or if you want more detailed advice, become a patron of Keeping Carlson. Ask questions on our Facebook group, keepingcarlson.com slash patron for more information for that. We'd also love if you could give us a five-star review on iTunes if you haven't done that yet. Doesn't cost you anything except a couple of clicks. You're already on the internet. Why not give us a five-star review on iTunes? And like Brian said, we have another thing I could say at the end of the show, keepingcarlson.com slash shirt and check out our really pretty and I think cool t-shirt. Maybe it could make a nice, what do people say, stocking stuffer for the upcoming holidays. We have to get it on using this jargon for the next few weeks. I don't know, but check it out, keepingcarlson.com slash shirt. That's all I've got for you, Brian. So why don't we cue that outro music? 
And Brian, read us the credits. Okay, yeah, I do want to point out that the timing of the release of this shirt is purely coincidental with the season. But anyway, it's still a really cool shirt. All right, this episode of Keeping Carlson was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Yahoo Sports, Roto World, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great job as always, Brian. Looking forward to doing this all again next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson.